What a beautiful song and a beautiful prayer. I hope you've enjoyed being in the house of the Lord today. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a pleasure to worship with you here at Parkview this morning. I want to draw your attention over here to these three flowers. One of the great joys that we have as a body of believers here at Parkview is to celebrate those who come to faith in Christ. And we had three kids in our children's ministry accept Christ last week. Let's give the Lord praise. I'm told we had an adult come to faith as well. So what a wonderful, wonderful sign of God being in our midst and moving. That's what our mission is, is to share that good news of Christ, that grace that we just shared those symbols of in, in the Lord's Supper. What a wonderful thing. It's great to see the Operation Christmas Child boxes coming in, and thank you for your participation in that. I want to just uh, advise you of some things as well. One of the parts of, of worship that we, we do in our personal lives is giving to the Lord as well. And ever since COVID, we don't pass plates like we used to, so sometimes you may not think of that. Just, just letting you know, it, we're, uh, Parkview is about 80% of what our giving budget should be, so we're tracking behind a little bit. If you're a visitor with us, please don't worry about that at all. If you're a member or a regular attender, uh, please think about giving if you're not involved in that as, at a, on a regular basis. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36 today, so you can turn there and be ready. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Last week, Pastor Thomas did a beautiful job of reminding us that we are saved by grace, and that's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we just celebrated in communion. Today, we'll notice that relational discord and God the Spirit's redirection both serve the ultimate goal of churches strengthened and growing through gospel proclamation. Today's text is one that causes many pastors to, to read it when they come to it and it's time to preach it, and it causes them to go, what do I do with this? Look with me at Acts 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Would you just join me in prayer? Father, we have come before you with our praises and adoration because you are worthy. You are the Holy One. You are the Sovereign One. And it is our delight to recognize you as such and to bring those praises before you. 
Father, we've celebrated the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, and the salvation brought by him through faith. Lord, we thank you. Father, as we get into your word now, we just ask your blessing upon it, and we would ask that you would move in a mighty way. We pray for our East Campus today. Lord, may you just move mightily there as well. Father, we think of our missionaries around the globe. We ask that you would bless them as they serve where they're serving, and Lord, may they have a sweet time of worship today. Lord, for gospel preaching and Bible-proclaiming churches around the globe, may you just add your power and your increase. Father, be in our midst. Help us to see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear and respond appropriately. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. A passage like this can be a little bit unsettling for us, right? I mean, two godly men divided. Think about how the Holy Spirit had empowered them so mightily. They boldly and powerfully proclaimed the good news of Jesus. They proclaimed to the Jews in the synagogue and then to the Gentiles. They, they did it so powerfully that they're strongly opposed by some who remain deceived, who remain in darkness. And those people are so frustrated by them, they're determined to stop them at any cost. They're willing to even kill them because their influence was so strong. That's the good news in that. The reason there was such resistance because it was such a powerful movement. They had wonderful responses of, of many. Clearly God blessing what they're doing and, and, and fruit coming forth, right, from the sharing of the gospel. And people, people joyfully coming to faith in Jesus. I suggest to you that people who know Jesus join in the celebration of others coming to faith. That's why we're excited to hear about new people coming to faith, right? Because we get it. We understand what a wonderful thing it is to, to know the gospel and to know Jesus. The desire of Paul to come back to the cities is obviously affirmed by Barnabas. There's no question about that. I think they agree. Let's go back and encourage them. Let's teach them. Let's help them with any problems that may have arisen. And I think that they honestly just wanted to go and be with them again. If you've ever gone on a mission trip, a short-term, long-term, or you've been a part of ministries in another area where we've seen God move, right? Where it's just obvious that his presence was moving powerfully. They become your brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's something in you that longs to go and be with them. So I think it didn't take much for Paul to convince Barnabas, yeah, let's go back and see these people because we saw God move in such neat ways. We want to do that. And, and we want to do it together. But they ran into a, a problem in that Barnabas wants to give John Mark uh, another shot. And Paul is not in agreement with this. So much so that we read they have a sharp disagreement there's no exaggeration in the translation here. The Greek word suggests even a violent action or intense emotion. This was a heated exchange. Likely it started out with calm voices and their voices were raised and then their arms started flailing. You know how people do that when they start getting upset? Like some of you when you come and talk to me about the fact that your chair wasn't where it was supposed to be today. <laughs> You're thinking it, aren't you? 
I know you're thinking, we'll add some more chairs next week, all right? Just experimenting, it's okay. You don't change anything in a church, that's a rule, especially if you're a new pastor. I don't like rules. Uh, the fact that so many of you laughed told me a lot. Anyway, all right. But this was to the degree that these minister, ministry partners go their separate ways. And I think it's good to review the map. And so we've got Barnabas and Mark. They sail off to Cyprus. And this is where Paul and Barnabas encountered Elymas, remember? Bar-Jesus, remember? Paul called him the son of the devil and said, you will be blind for a time and people believed. By the way, this is the last that Luke will tell us about Barnabas, which is interesting. Paul takes Silas, one of the leading men of the brothers, according to chapter 15, verse 22, and goes through Syria and Cilicia. Kent Hughes says, the omission of a harmonious conclusion indicates that the, uns the unstated but undeniable failure of two of the greatest souls of the church that we've ever known it was a failure that they couldn't reconcile. What a statement. These men don't even want to share a boat. They go completely different directions. And I want to ask you now, do, does this account stir up some discomfort in your soul? Is there some uneasiness in it? I would suggest to you that it should. How can it be that two godly people like this have such an intense disagreement? How can they not reconcile? And do you find yourself siding with, with maybe Paul over Barnabas or Barnabas over Paul? I want you to just let that uneasiness sit for a few moments, and we'll return to it, I promise. But I want you to notice that despite the sharp disagreement and separation, the original plan of visiting and strengthening the churches still is accomplished. We see it in verse 40, 41. In spite of their disagreement, it still happens. Look at uh, chapter 16 now, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at, at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were at, in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Through Paul's ministry and now with Timothy, God strengthens and grows the church. So Paul and Silas are already strengthening the churches as they continue on uh, further to Derby and to Lystra. Now remember, Derby was a place where things went well. Many disciples were made there. Returning there probably wasn't a huge risk. But then you've got Lystra where Paul and Barnabas were worshipped as gods after they restored the legs of this man, right? And they could barely stop them from worshipping him. Then Paul was stoned and left for dead. 
And now they're going back there. But remember, Paul and Barnabas actually traveled back through there on their way home, which seems so uh, illogical, right? And now enter Timothy. Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman and the son of a Gentile father or Greek father. It would seem most likely that he's already a strong believer. Uh, as we read that he was well spoken of by the followers of Christ at Lystra and Iconium. Second Timothy tells us that uh, he was one of strong faith and his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois were godly people. So it's very possible they came to faith through that first missionary journey and as a result he heard as well. In this case, maybe Timothy's already making an impact for Christ to a degree that Paul notices and he wants to bring him in. We don't know exactly how it all went. But he wants to bring him in and he wants to disciple him. He wants to work alongside him. I think it's interesting that you read this good stuff about Timothy here and we maybe ask a question. Is Luke highlighting Timothy's character here as opposed to or in contrast with that of John Mark's poor character for withdrawing from them? I don't know that we know the answer to that. But maybe it speaks to, again to why Paul did not choose Mark to go with him to the work. This section of Scripture is a little bit confusing as well. So if you look back at verse 4 again, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. If you remember from last week, what the decision was made, remember, remember that decision made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem? The decision was, you Gentiles are saved by grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And circumcision is not required. The, 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 that message was the good news, the gospel, it's grace, it's faith, it's faith in Christ. And that's all. So here's why it's confusing. We look at that in verse 4, that they're going to take this message. But if that's the message that Paul and Silas bring, then why does Paul think it's necessary to circumcise Timothy? I believe the text gives us a, gives us a partial answer here. It says, because the Jews in those places knew his father was a Greek. But I actually think we, we read a deeper answer in, later on in, in the letter to Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 20. Paul writes, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is a beautiful spirit of being willing to do whatever is needed to proclaim Christ. It is putting the cause over the preferences. I believe one of the greatest roadblocks to churches remaining effective is an unwillingness to consider what might need to be sacrificed 
to reach and disciple others. It's a very key statement I just made to you. Churches stagnate and they struggle when they hang on to personal preference at the cost of being effective. This can be nostalgia. We hang on to certain ideas and certain methods because it worked in 1977. It was powerful. And it's a remembering win, and it was so good. It can be nostalgia. It also can be pure selfishness. I'm in, and I like it this way. I was convicted personally after having been a youth pastor for many years one of my favorite ministries within that I just, I just loved it and when I moved to the lead pastor role and, and youth pastors came in after me they didn't value it like I did and there was a part of me that wanted to go I'm the lead pastor do it my way right but I, I knew better than to do that but it was interesting to see how God brought about new fruit in new ministries. And it was hard for me because it was such a wonderful season of ministry. Certain things we, that we were doing that, was so, that were so great, but it ran its course. And it was time for a new season. And it was hard for me to do that. And back to our text here. I think it's significant that there's no, nothing being told about Timothy being unwilling here. Timothy's a willing participant in this. He understood what the logic of it would be or what the mission of it would be. I think the goal here was to remove any possible stumbling block that might stop Jewish people from hearing the message. I also believe that Paul was discerning these situations with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I think that is if we go back to Galatians now, go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, he writes this, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who sl slipped in to spy out our freedom, that why we have in Christ Jesus, or that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here we see that Paul is not willing to act in order just to appease antagonists. Rather, Paul's desire was for people to have no hindrance in hearing and receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that Timothy remaining uncircumcised would have been an offense to Jews that they would have to overcome in order to speak to them. I want to tell you this was an action taken in freedom, not in constraint to the law. An action taken in freedom, not in constraint to the law. So ultimately then, Timothy is brought under Paul's wing and introduced to missions. We know that Paul loved Timothy deeply. Here we see the beginning of what would prove to be an extraordinary relationship and friendship. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul refers to Timothy as his beloved child. 
So here in Lystra, Lystra, the place where Paul was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead, it's now a place where God gives him Timothy to bless him and the ministry and the church. You know, maybe young Timothy watched at a distance as Paul was being stoned and dragged out and treated so horribly. Maybe like Paul, then Saul watched Stephen be put to death. Maybe it had an impact. But understand now, Timothy gets to be part in delivering this good news to the city. He gets to see how people are encouraged when they arrive, energized by the news of the gospel. He gets to see Paul welcomed back into these cities with delight and tears and hugs. He gets to hear testimonies. People may be saying to Timothy, this man is the man who told me about Jesus, the good news, the gospel. And by the way, when he got here, he was so beat up. He was in rough shape. He was, he was sick, but he still told us. And maybe Timothy gets to see them introduce new believers to Paul that came to faith after he left. No doubt Timothy's already thankful that he's been called into this mission. And I want to suggest to you what a delight to be invited in to take part in what God is doing. You ever had that experience? Maybe you were invited to go on a short-term mission trip or, or to help out with Awana on Wednesday nights. This is hard to believe, but I'm going to say it. Do you know that church leaders and pastors often dread having to ask people to serve? They resist it. They feel like they're pressuring people. They, they don't want to go and, and bug people about it. This should not be the case. This should not be true. You're being invited in to be challenged and to see God move. You're given an opportunity. I, I can't stand it when I hear church leaders say, you know, I didn't want to ask anybody, I'll just do it. You know, that's the fear of being rejected, but it's also selfish. When I hear our leaders say that, I go, wait a minute. This isn't about you. It's about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, to experience God move in a mighty way. Don't do it yourself. I know you love it, but we want other people to love it. Sorry, I got a little preachy. <laughs> if you're here this morning, you would describe your faith as dull or lifeless. It's because you're not applying it. You're not testing it. Nothing about your daily life requires faith in God. You're just living like everybody else who doesn't have faith. Timothy's life was about to radically change. And Paul knows that the mission is bigger than he is. Paul's wise enough to say, I can't keep up with this by myself. We need others. Let's keep moving. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Ferga and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So pass, passing, passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas. 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Yet another difficult section of Scripture. God is forbidding them to speak a word in Asia. This was the province of Asia, not the continent. This is where Ephesus would have been. So many questions here. Again, look at the map. There's all these logical places for them to move to. But they're forbidden. And, and how were they forbidden? Was it verbal? We don't know. Was it an agreement in all their spirits that the Spirit was saying no? Was it circumstances, roadblocks of, of, of various sorts, struggles, illnesses? We don't know. So they head north to Bithynia. <clears throat> they want to anyway, to some cities along the Black Sea. Interesting here, it says the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Going one way, roadblock. Going another way, another roadblock. They're stopped. So they travel to Troas. In verse 10, Luke records something interesting. He writes, we sought to go on to Macedonia. In Luke's writing, this is the first time he in, pulls himself into it. It would seem that this is where Luke gets uh, involved in the journey personally. Interesting. And also noteworthy that in, in Troas, God's direction through the Spirit is not stop, you can't come here, or stop, you can't come here. It's actually go. I want you to go to Macedonia. Paul gets a vision in the night of a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. You and I, who want everything to be logical, who are you people? You know who you are. You want everything to be logical and clear. Just me. Thanks. Uh, left me hanging out there. It's a rough Sunday with you people. <laughs> just kidding. But we want to say, why didn't God just tell them that in the first place? Just rewind a little bit and put the go to Macedonia vision thing going on there and you don't have to stop from going here or stop going there. We want, we want it to be that way. But we can't decide how the Spirit is going to move. So the Holy Spirit blocks ministry to Asia so God can call Paul and his team to gospel ministry in Macedonia. Okay. Lord, whatever you want is your call. You lead, I follow. If I may, I want to circle back around to the discomfort about the rift between Paul and Barnabas. Sharp disagreement. I'm going to get a little crazy here this morning. I'm going to let you in on a secret. There have been sharp disagreements at Parkview Church. <laughs> Cat's out of the bag. There have been sharp disagreements here. Painful ones. Ones with residual effect. There, I said it. I just came from Park Hills Church. Don't tell them. There were sharp 
disagreements at Park Hills Church. It happens even among Christians. And it's messy sometimes. Relational hardships happen. We don't like them, but they happen. In many cases, they shouldn't happen. Sometimes they're over major important things. They're serious things, and, and they should lead to disagreement. I think part of what we struggle with here is we go, why the disagreement over this? Should it have been that sharp? Because sometimes they're over disputable matters. Sometimes the sharp disagreements are over preferences. Yikes. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Think about this for a minute. Let's break it down. Paul's logic leaves him to believe that, that Mark will prove unfaithful again. Paul's looking at it going, yeah, we did that once. We're not doing that again. And maybe he's thinking, Barnabas, the only reason you're giving him a second shot is because he's your relative. Family stuff distorts clarity. Maybe for Paul, it's emotionally driven. The thought of, of him leaving before things got so rough in that mission, he's, he, it's stirring up the pain of, of maybe when he's being stoned and he's thinking, who's here to support me? Not Mark, he's gone. I mean, think of what Paul went through. Maybe he's thinking in his mind, Mark didn't earn the right to go back with us and celebrate what God did. Why should he go? He didn't do any of it. But Barnabas, his logic and his heart says, everybody deserves another chance. Isn't that grace, Paul? Isn't that what grace is? Come on, everybody deserves another chance. And maybe he's thinking, maybe he said, Paul, I stood by you when no one else would because you got a second chance. Don't forget who you were, Saul. He's going, I give people second chances. That's what I do. I'm Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Another question we can ask here is, why does, why does Luke even put it in here? Why is it there? This is where the grand narrative or the greater context is important. It's helpful. Because we, we read later on that John Mark proves out as effective. He was helpful to Peter. Paul later calls for him. Paul writes, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for the ministry. 2 Timothy 4. Paul writes and gives us, or Mark writes and gives us the gospel of Mark, inspired by the Spirit of God. It's pretty useful, I'd say. Silas proved to be a, a great ministry partner for Paul. And 1 Corinthians 9 could suggest that Paul and Barnabas had a restored relationship later on. I would think so. 
Where am I going with this? I'd suggest that we would have a hard time proving one right over the other. Again, sometimes we have sharp disagreements over serious matters. Sometimes they're debatable matters. I would suggest to you it's a debatable matter. But I want to throw another thought at you. And this thought came to me as I was wrestling through this passage. I haven't, I haven't read it in any commentaries anywhere, but it's an interesting thought. So often, the issues that arise are from previous sin. So we might want to say, okay, did, is Paul sinning here? Is Barnabas sinning here? I would suggest to you, no, Mark sinned. Mark sinned when he left him, and that sin has a residual effect. One of the things I used to teach junior high kids, sin hurts not only you, but others too. It does damage. Think about it. If, if Mark had not bailed on them, there would not have been a sharp disagreement, would there? So if you want to find the sin in it, I would go back to the, the original one with, with them. Right there. And go, that's what caused that divide. Did they sin in not reconciling? Yeah, well, leave that to the Lord's hands, right? But sin does damage. But listen, God's work goes on. Sharp disagreements, yes. God's work goes on. He will not be hindered. So at some point, we've got to get over it, don't we? And say, God's work will not be hindered. We can go through this passage and, and try to dig out the logic, and logic is valuable. God's designed us that way. But it is always secondary to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Logic's useful, but the Spirit of the living God has to be the driving influence. Oh, Father, help us become a church that is confident in your purpose to strengthen churches and to convert unbelievers. Amen? Some thoughts for you as I wrap up. God can still carry out his work even when we struggle. God is faithful. He's faithful. We must seek to eliminate any hindrance to the gospel. Be careful that you're not hanging on to stuff you don't need to hang on to that might be getting in the way of gospel ministry. Finally, the Holy Spirit will redirect us as needed, and he's right. He knows what to do. We need to trust. Would you join me in prayer? Father, would you work in spite of us? Father, would you help us to get over ourselves and to trust you? Lord, we'd ask that we would be people who can get past those hard moments when things are tough, but that we would turn our eyes to our Savior, to follow his lead, to hear the prompts of your spirit, and to move in ways you direct. Father, that your kingdom would advance and you'd be glorified. Lord, we thank you that you are strong and you will work in spite of us. And we ask you to do that. Lord, if, if there's things in our own personal lives that are hindering the gospel, Lord, would you just reveal those to us and convict us in those areas? 
that we would be people who would boldly proclaim the good news that we're, though we are sinful, Christ, the perfect sacrifice, died in our place on the cross, that we would have salvation through faith. Father, we love your truth. We love your gospel. Lord, we, we just ask that your spirit would redirect us whenever necessary so that your kingdom would advance and your name would be praised. And that's what we pray for in the name of Jesus. Amen.